0: Welcome to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast, where we dive into your inner world to explore all of the psychological, emotional, energetic, and spiritual components that may be influencing your struggle with food and eating. I'm your host, Sarah Emily Spears, a trained psychotherapist and energy worker who recovered from my own eating disorder, and now I help women just like you do the inner work to address the real issues keeping you stuck in your problematic eating patterns because I assure you, your problem with food is about way more than food. So join me and guest experts as we discuss the psychology of eating and healing and empower you with tangible steps you can take today to begin to improve your relationship with food and yourself from a place of true nourishment and care. Hello, hello. In this episode, I'm going to share with you my story because I think it's helpful for you to understand the path that has led me to this point, I'm going to share with you my personal experience with my own eating disorder and my professional journey to becoming someone who now works as a practitioner, helping you overcome your own disordered eating tendencies and whatever capacity those may be. And so when I share my story, I'm hoping it will serve a, serve a few functions. First of all, I want you to know that you are in good hands. It can build a little bit of trust between us. I want you to feel like you know me, so I'm not a complete stranger. And it can be helpful to know that I've been there, that I at least have some understanding that we have some commonalities and you're actually not alone in your struggle. And I want to build a little bit of competency, if you will. Like I want you to know that I know a thing or two about what I'm talking about because of my personal experience and because of all the work that I've done helping people overcome eating disorders, the training that I've received, et cetera. And then you understand the perspective through which I am sharing this information and what my own philosophies and approaches are because of the journey I've been on. So um, my journey starts, let me go back in time. I would say 2011, over, over 10 years ago now, whoa, 2011, that's when I moved from New York to California. So I had been living actually in Australia. I'll, I'll rewind even further. I was born and raised in New York. I'm an East Coast gal, upstate New York, not the city of New York. So I don't have an accent. People always ask that. But I grew up in upstate New York. After I graduated from Syracuse University with a bachelor's in psychology, I got a job working at Yale University at what's called the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity. So I lied. This story, we're going back to 2004, okay? 2004, when I went to college, Syracuse University, I was dual majoring in advertising and psychology. At the time, I thought, I'm going to, when I graduate, get a job in New York City as an ad exec and I'm just going to live this like glamorous life, like making lots of money and hanging out with the rich and famous. And like, you know, living sort of the sex in the city dream that I'd been sold and bought. And then I arrived my senior year and I'm getting ready to graduate and I'm starting to have panic attacks because I'm realizing not literally panic attacks, but I was having some anxiety because I was realizing, oh my gosh. Like when I look back on my life, my contribution to society is that I'm going to have helped people brainwash people into spending money on products and services because we've convinced them there's something wrong with them. And I was shook because that was not aligned with my heart's passion and desire. And so I ran to my advisor at the time and I said, oh, I want to become a psychologist. And he kind of looked at me because up until now I'd been, you know, doing advertising internships and I hadn't really been focusing on psychology as much as advertising. He said, you know, you really probably need a little bit more experience in psychology. Why don't you try and find a position as an undergraduate researcher? Because a lot of masters and PhD programs look for research experience to come into their programs. And so I said, okay, fine. And what I'm now interested in, I like flipped it was the psychology of advertising, like how advertising and the media was influencing people's health and wellness. And that was fascinating to me. So I found this position at the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity, which at the time was at Yale University. I think it's now maybe at, oh, it's at a different university now, but at the time it was at Yale and I got a job as a research assistant as part of their marketing team. And our job is to research the facts of food and beverage marketing on childhood obesity, on children's food preferences, um, on, on children's eating habits, which is fascinating. I will have to talk about that another time. Anyway, so I'm working at this research center doing this work exploring the psychological impacts of advertising and the media and it was such an, a beautiful container for me to be in i learned so much but i also at the time was like you know 22 23 and i was just i had this desire to feel like i had like seen the world and i wanted a little bit more excitement in my life and so i decided to go to australia and i packed a bag and i went over to australia for six months to travel and work and to just like, I don't know, feel alive when I was in my twenties. And when I came back to the United States, six months later in February, February is summer in Sydney. February is dead of winter in New York. So I went from like hundred degrees to zero degrees in a matter of a day. And I literally looked at my parents and was like, I'm moving to California. I decided I wanted to try and find the Australia Sydney of the U S and I'd heard great things about Cali and I decided, yeah, okay, I'm going to go. So I found a job working at a summer camp in San Diego, California, and it happened to be a weight loss and fitness camp. Now I was really excited about this because after working at the red center for food policy and obesity, I'd been working on the policy side right writing papers and doing research but i really wanted to work like with people and i thought that doing fitness would be a great way for me to begin to support people who were struggling with weight issues to learn how to take care of themselves and to feel better i wanted women children and and teens to, like feel confident and so i got a job at this weight loss and fitness camp as a camp counselor for adolescent girls who are struggling with weight and obesity. Now, um, in hindsight, this was not actually something that I think is healthy, nor would I ever encourage anyone to do because their philosophy was a no fat, low fat eating approach, which I do not support or stand by. But at the time I didn't realize this, I just kind of was there excited to be in Cali and help these these girls. And for me, it really was about helping them develop the inner confidence to feel good about themselves. But we were doing a lot of physical activity. They were tracking calories, monitoring what they were eating. Like I said, it was a low fat, no fat diet. And so um, there weren't really nuts or seeds available, no high fat yogurts or cheeses, you know, everything was low fat. And I decided when I packed my car, which I did my little Honda Civic, with all my belongings, which wasn't much, drove across the country to San Diego. And on that drive across the country, I was like, you know, I want to be as healthy as I can be. And this is a little flag for you because many of us slide into disordered eating under the belief that we are being healthier, right? So my intention was I want to be healthy. And I had started reading books on veganism and I thought, Ooh, I'm going to try this. Like Maybe this is the path to healthier, And it was the first time in my life I started to really consider the nutrients I was eating and what I was feeding my body. And so I get to the summer camp where they're feeding us a no fat, low fat diet. And I simultaneously decide of my own free will that I'm no longer eating animal products. So I'm not eating the protein that they're serving. They really didn't have beans or vegan sources of protein at this time, because this was back in 2011. Like that wasn't even as common. And I decided that I wasn't going to be eating like carbs, fruits and vegetables were okay. But I, the book I had read was more of like a raw vegan diet. So that was sort of the, the, um, the guidelines that I was following, not recommending this maybe, there are some people out there who who eat this way and it works for your body. But like, for me, this was not the right way. So I just want to be super clear. Like I am not endorsing this as something that I want you to go try, but I want you to understand why I say dieting can be so harmful. Why restriction in extremes can be so harmful because I took it to the extreme. Okay. No proteins, no fats, no healthy sources of like complex carbs. I'm eating fruits and vegetables, goodness gracious. And not nearly enough because we were there tracking our calories. So I was getting on average probably 800 to 900 calories a day, which is like not even enough for a toddler to survive on nonetheless, an adult. And so over the course of the summer of doing fitness and eating this way, by the end of the summer, I had lost at least 20 pounds off my normal weight body and full disclosure. I have a normal weight body, so I wasn't struggling with weight. I didn't need to lose weight. And by the end of the summer, I was under hundred pounds. I probably weighed close to 95 pounds and I was five, four. So this was far too thin for me. Now, at the end of the summer, my thought was, oh my gosh, like, wow, I lost all this weight. I've never tried to lose weight before. I wasn't even trying to lose weight before I was just trying to be healthy, but there was a little sense of pride that kicked in around this idea of like, I've achieved Like the ideal body that everyone's trying to get, which is thinner is better. And like, oh my gosh, like I'm so thin right now. And so my ego like really felt a sense of pride and accomplishment. And when I left the camp, which the camp had been feeding us and I stepped out into the real world and I had to start to feed myself, I totally froze. I didn't know What was quote unquote good or bad or healthy or unhealthy anymore? Because my brain had been so clouded by all the nutrition information I had read that I was so confused that I was panicked and anxious because I wanted to make sure that I was eating healthy and I didn't want to put anything quote unquote bad in my body for the sake of health that the result was I actually wasn't eating anything. Like, I, I literally didn't know how to feed myself anymore, which is crazy as an adult to be like, I can't meet my basic needs, but I couldn't at the time. I didn't realize it because I was kind of like really deep and deeply entrenched in this at this point in time. I didn't fully realize what was happening. I can talk about it now because I have this perspective of time um, and understanding to share with you. So that's what was happening, happening to me physically. That was what was happening to me as a result of the food choices and dieting choices I made. And that was the result that it started to have in my body as I was severely underweight and I started to become severely malnourished. I started to lose hair. My eyes were sunken in. I started to break out in really bad acne. I lost my period. Um, I started to feel depressed. I didn't feel like myself. I lost my desire for life. I had no sex drive. Like there were a lot of Results that were taking place for me eating this way. In addition to this, simultaneously, so I leave camp, we've got the physical experience of how dieting is impacting my body and my mind and my feeling of well-being. And simultaneously at the end of camp, I had gotten a sublease to stay in San Diego. So I packed all of my belongings back into my car to move to my sublet. And I get there and I decided I'm going to unpack tomorrow because I was tired. And so I wake up the next day, I step outside and my car is gone. I am like 24, 25 years old in San Diego. And suddenly I find myself without a car. All my belongings are gone. And literally in a, in a moment, I find myself literally there with the clothes on my back which by the way, was a much thinner back. So (laughs) in a body that I didn't recognize without a car, without a job, without friends, without support, without a way to go get a new car, without a way to go get a job, to go get a car. Like I was totally stuck, trapped. It was a traumatic moment, but in the moment, didn't realize the traumatic impact it was having. Not to mention like when, when someone steals anything from you, it, it, can activate a lot but this was like my entire life my car and all my belongings which did have sentimental value which i i mean these were things that had been a part of my life for most of my life gone it was hugely hugely traumatic and violating but i didn't realize it because i just had to survive so i went into survival mode i literally remember i cried and then i was like okay like i'm fine Worst things happen in the world. Suck it up, buttercup. Like, let's figure this out. And everyone back home on the East Coast, like, come home. Like, just come home. I was like, no, I want to be here. I'm going to figure this out. I'm not coming home. I'm strong. I got this. And so those two combinations, the experience at camp, the food choices I was making, coupled with the emotional trauma that I experienced in moving to San Diego was like the perfect storm. That allowed this eating disorder to just arrive full force. This is a little bit of that nature versus nurture. Like some people have a genetic predisposition to alcoholism or a genetic predisposition to eating disorders because it's in your family history or something that was passed down through generations. And whether or not it emerges may depend dramatically on what is going on in your world and in your life. And so for me, this was the environmental impact that allowed the perfect storm to take place. That it was like the gun is loaded and that just pulled the trigger to allow my eating disorder to arrive full force. And so a lot of times when I'm working with people, we tend to find that there is a time in the life in, in anyone's life. And I want you to think about within your own life when your struggle really started to get bad. I guarantee there was one or more things going on in that time that really impacted your ability to function and that affected your physical and mental well being and influenced you turning to the eating disorder as a way to try and cope. Yeah. So for me, at this time is when things really got to kick up because I wasn't sure how to feed myself. I really wasn't eating a lot. I remember my roommates being like, You need to eat a cheeseburger. And I was like, No cheeseburgers are bad for you. You guys don't have willpower. Like, Oh my God, there was this like righteousness going on. The voice of Ed can be like super crazy, but I started to get so hungry because I wasn't eating enough that like, I was having intense cravings to eat. And so if I'd meet up with someone and go out to eat, I would like devour everything on the plate, like chips and guacamole, like stuffed it down, would eat the entire food. And then I would feel so sick because literally it was like, I couldn't fit one more morsel of food in my body. I felt so sick that I ugh, threw it up. And that happened once. And I was like, Oh my God, I feel so much better. Like I'm never going to eat that much again. And then I would undo being bad by trying to diet the next day. I'd be like, okay, tomorrow I'm, I'm going to do a water fast. I'm going to do a juice fast. I'm going to just eat fruits all day to undo the binge from the night before, which of course sets my brain to panic because now I've responded by starving myself again. So by the end of the day, I'm so hungry that I'm binging again and eating and stuffing down foods until I feel sick. And then, Oh, I feel so sick. i throw it up. Oh, I feel better. And that started to become a pattern that happened maybe once a week. And then it started to happen like every day. And then it started to happen anytime I ate. And so in a matter of six months, I found that I was binging and purging anytime I ate multiple times a day. I was working at that time. I found a job working as a personal trainer, which is ironic because here I am the skinny little girl who's trying to tell people how to build muscle. Like that was Kind of kind of humorous in hindsight, but none, nonetheless, I was working as a personal trainer and in between clients, I'm binging on protein bars that are in, in the office and in between clients, I'm running to the bathroom down the hall to throw up the protein bars before coming back to train people. Like that is how warped and disordered this is. And I don't share this to say like, oh, my disorder is worse than yours or to give you ideas, but I want to paint a picture of like how dark it got for me. Because I want to let you know, if I can get better, if I can go from that to someone who now has a very, like what I would consider normal, healthy, empowered relationship with food eating in my body, then you can too, no matter how badly you're suffering, no matter how long you've been suffering. I'm going to paint just a few more pictures of my kind of like rock bottom. Okay. Before we shift into the, like. Oh, the victory story of how things improve. So like I said, this started to become just my way of life. And you want to know something crazy? I didn't even realize when I was in it that like something was wrong. (laughs) If, If you've been there, like you're so consumed by it. It has such a hold on you that it's a little bit like, I don't know if you've seen the movie soul. I think it's Pixar highly recommend it. And there's these, these beings, it's like, they call them the lost souls or something, but it's like humans that are, are just kind of these walking, like zombie shadows. It's like, they're not, they're human selves. You've like lost yourself. Yeah. And you're just kind of like existing in the world, but you're not you. Like that was 100% me and further evidence of that is I started to experience The first and only time in my life, suicidal ideation, because then it started to dawn on me. I remember finally having the realization as my face is like in a toilet and I see the puke like scattered in the toilet and it starts to dawn on me like, oh my God moment of awareness. My face is in a toilet and the toilet is full of puke and the puke is the food I just ate. And this isn't normal. Like, Oh my God. And then it like dawns on me. Like I just threw up my food. Uh, this is you have a psychology degree, Sarah, like this is called bulimia. Oh my God. Right. And there's like this shame in the moment of realizing like, Oh, ah, I don't think this is good. I don't think this is normal. I don't even, I can't even admit to myself what this is, but like, (gasps) I'm starting to realize what it is, right? So there's this moment of realization, but with the realization I'm stuck in it. Like I've created this habit. This is what my brain and body is like naturally doing and I can't control it. And there's despair and there's hopelessness. And there's the sense of like, how is this my life? Like I grew up without this. Now, some people, it starts earlier for me. I had adult onset. I was like a pretty happy kid. I got good grades. I played sports. Like I went to college. I had good friends. Like I was always a happy, healthy kid. Like, how is this my life right now? And how do I get out of it? What, like, what is the solution to this suffering and pain? And when you can't find a way out, that's when the brain is like thinking of other options. You know, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be alive if this is how I'm going to be living. And so that was one of the darkest places for me. And that is when I really made the commitment that I refused, I refused to let that be my life for the rest of my life. And I think kind of the Pivotal turning point moment was a night where I, I mean, I still remember it vividly. I had, it was a Friday night. I had no friends. Everyone's out, you know, I don't know, living it up on a Friday night. And I'm at home by myself with a pizza and a gallon of ice cream. And I bent on the entire pizza. I forced like painfully forced every bite down. And then I shoved ice cream on top of it. And I started to, to throw it up with, um, I mean, just tears streaming down my face. Like I was in so much literal pain physically and emotionally. And there was a moment of like the food being stuck in my throat. And I'm like, gagging to get it out. Like I was so determined to get it out of me that I started to choke. And that was scared the crap out of me. Cause I thought, oh my God this is how my life is going to end. Like, this is, this is how I'm going to die. Like my landlord's going to walk in and find me on the floor, surrounded by an empty pizza box and ice cream and puke in the toilet and me dead. Like, Oh no, this is not going to be the ending to my story. And I stood up and I looked myself dead in the eyes and I prayed, I cried to God, like, please show me how to heal myself. Show me the path to freedom and healing, to end this suffering. And I, God, I will commit. I will spend the rest of my life helping people who are suffering like this because I never wanted anyone. It's making me emotional just saying it. Like I never wanted anyone to suffer the way that I was suffering. And that is why I'm here with this podcast <laughs> to bring you the story of hope. Okay. Like no matter what you're going through, you, you, You can do it. And life is worth fighting for. And your, your happiness and your health and your well-being is, is worth fighting for. And it is not an easy path. I do not want to sell you an illusion that it is easy. It's work, but it is entirely possible. And so that was the turning point for me where I literally was like, okay, I need to start eating normal. Like I got rid of the food rules. I, I went on a binge. I ate like meat like car, a carnivore because I realized how undernourished <laughs> I was with me. Maybe a little extreme, one end, you know, to the other, but I started to refeed myself to normalize my eating patterns. And then I'm going to confess that I did something that I'm not going to encourage you to do, which is that I did not seek out professional help because I had so much shame. I did not want to admit to anyone least of all my family and friends that I had an eating disorder I just could not bring myself to say that to them because I didn't want it to change their perception of me I didn't want them to become like the food police who were like over monitoring everything I did And so I, I decided like, I'm going to do this myself and heal myself and do this on my own in hindsight, that is an unhealthy thought pattern. But, um, if you're there, I want to just encourage you like, Hey, I, I chose the path of prolonging my suffering and my struggle by not seeking professional help. And I don't want you to make the same mistake that I did. If I could go back in time and tell that girl who made that, decision that she was going to like find a way to heal herself. If I could give her any advice, it would be, Hey sister, like it's okay. Tell the people you love and go get some, some help. Okay. Cause you can't do it alone. I mean, you can, but it's going to take a whole, whole lot longer. So you don't need me. You don't need anyone to save you or heal you, but having support, having someone who can walk with you on the journey and pick you up when you fall down and give you the encouragement when you're feeling hopeless and hold you when you're just like, you know, in the depths of your despair, like that makes a huge difference. If you're struggling with food and eating issues and you want insight as to why, then I highly recommend you download and take the empowered eating blueprint quiz that I've created to help you identify which of the five bodies of health that's physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and soul bodies may be at play for you and that you would benefit from addressing on your healing journey. The first step to change is self-awareness, and this quiz is designed to give you that. Click the link in the show notes to access the quiz now. So, and I did kind of like dabble my toe in getting help. I remember I like went to an eating disorder recovery group, but I told, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing to even like admit this, but I told the facilitator. I was like, I used to have an eating disorder and I'm interested in helping women recover from an eating disorder. I'm better now, but I'm hoping I could just like observe. She was like, yeah, of course. So full of shit. I mean, my God, you know, I like that wasn't true, but I wanted to believe I was better. So I was trying to like act as if like, no, I'm all better. This isn't a problem. This is a thing of the past. And at that time, like I was, I'd reduced the frequency and occurrence of the episodes, but it was still happening once a week, a few days a week. Like it wasn't every single meal, but like it was still happening. So then um, I decided I was going to go back to school, that I wanted to understand the psychology, what was going on in the inner world. I wanted to understand my own struggle. I wanted to learn the tools. I wanted to learn how to heal so I could help others heal and myself. And so I started researching grad school programs for therapy and psychology. And ultimately I chose to go to the university of San Diego for a master's in marriage and family therapy, because at the time I was thinking that I wanted to work with children and teens who were struggling with an eating disorder. And that really requires being able to work with the family because they're living with their family and work with the parents and the, the family system. And so marriage and family therapy is really about a systemic approach, looking at the whole rather than just an individual or looking at how relationships are impacting an individual. And so for me, there's a lot of relationships that I thought were important to look at the relationship to oneself, to one's body, to other people, to food. So I chose marriage and family therapy specialize in marriage therapy. Like if you are having problems with your partner, I'm not the person to help you. Not my forte, not my specialty. I have a much better understanding of family systems and family dynamics and attachment and how all of that is going to inform, um, one's eating behaviors, right? We talked about what goes on in childhood development and how that forms your relationship with food and your self-image and body image. And all of this is relational information and conditioning and not getting your needs met or not having parents who could support you or the traumatic experiences you had with with people in your life like all of this is what I look at with my degree and my background but at the time yeah i thought i was going to work with children and teens who had eating disorders and the selfish motive was that i thought i'll be able to like fully heal achieve at the time i would say i had partial recovery and i figured i will be able to experience full recovery Um, so I went back to school, learned a lot. And after the second year, no, sorry. After the first year in the second year, we get to choose a practicum. And so I was 100% sold on doing my practicum training, which is where we get real experience doing therapy, working with clients. Like you're in the field, rolled up your sleeves, you're like, doing therapy. Like year one, you're reading about doing therapy year two, you're like doing it. And so I got a, a practicum at the center for healthy eating and activity research, which is called cheer at the university of California in San Diego. And this was, oh, I loved it. I loved cheer. Um, just a, a wonderful experience for me. I got to work in a clinic offering therapy to individuals with a spectrum of eating disorders. I got to work with families. I got to help run research studies, looking at how to offer different therapeutic approaches to improve binge eating or eating issues. I learned such a wealth of information and knowledge and the, the truth, truth, which at that time, I never would have admitted because I felt like the biggest hypocrite in the world was that I was still struggling, not nearly as severely. It was very infrequent, but there were still episodes and moments that would happen for me. Even after going through my graduate school training, but mind you up until now, I had still never sought out my own professional help. I had never worked with a therapist. I had never worked with the healer. I had never told anyone that I was struggling. This was all me like doing this myself, like forcing myself to not engage in the patterns. And, 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 you know, I was doing different self-development and reading and meditating and, and exercising, but I hadn't really done the work to address the deeper issues. And I didn't realize it. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware what those deeper issues even were at that time. And so after I finished my practicum, I was given the honor and the privilege to work at cheer creating and running an intensive treatment program for binge eating disorder. So this was like one of the they were creating, UCSC already has an amazing, amazing IOP PHP program for anorexia and, and severe eating disorders. That's one of the top programs in the country. And I was helping to create the division and branch specific for binge eating. And so this was great because I got to take everything I learned and put it together and supporting people. This was my passion. Like I was so invested in it. I loved this work. And I was really being faced with the hypocrisy, the sense of an imposter and a fraud, because I would sit down with people and teach them and support them and offer them guidance. But like, how could I wholeheartedly, authentically, truthfully look them in the eye and say, like, you can get better. I like, I, I know this is hard and it's possible when like a part of me didn't know if it was possible because I hadn't achieved it yet not completely. I knew, yes, you can definitely, it can improve. I knew that, but like, I didn't fully believe like that full recovery was possible yet. And I just knew in my being, I can't be in integrity with this. And I didn't have the courage to tell anyone. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm going to get like fired. Like I can't be here as a therapist with my own problem. Like, is that okay? Which opens up a whole other conversation around like, hey, therapists are humans too. And the reason why we're often good at dealing with mental health is because of our own struggles. But at the time, I had way too much shame to even acknowledge that. And so what I did instead is I left the position and I realized like I need to put 100% of my focus into my healing. And I realized like, man, I've committed to like, I've been learning therapy from a top institution in the country. I'm working at a top center in the nation. Like I'm being trained by some of the most brilliant minds in the field. Like I know a lot and I'm still struggling. And so I just had this feeling of like, "Ah, there's gotta be more, like there's gotta be something else I'm missing. And I kind of thought of it similar to, you know, just the world of physical health. Like if someone's struggling with cancer, I mean, We have invested as a nation, millions, if not billions in cancer research to continue to advance our treatments of cancer until we find better and more efficient like solutions and remedies to help people heal. And when it comes to eating disorders, the reality is that recovery rates are, there's room for improvement. And it's very common for people to struggle for five to 20 years, if not their whole life. It's very common for people to achieve recovery and relapse. It's very common for people to only achieve partial recovery. And so I really felt this deep call. It was like this soul pull to like explore what else is there that I haven't learned yet, that I haven't tried yet, that I haven't been exposed to yet. And I was just so committed. I was like, I'm gonna try any and every healing modality out there until I figure this out. And I did, I started to document my journey and like everything I did and the impact it had on me. And what it did, when I left the job, I packed my bags. I bought a one-way ticket to Europe and I spent three months in Europe, fully committed to just focusing on my healing. I read. I finally started reaching out to practitioners and I started to become exposed to the world of alternative healing to energy work. I started to be exposed to things I'd never tried before, like breath work and tapping and Reiki and emotion code. And it started to reveal to me the depth of the unprocessed emotional wounds, the depth of my pain that I had not felt that I had repressed for so long because my whole life I was like, I'm Sarah, I'm happy, I don't have problems, I don't get sad, I don't get mad. And i had been so disconnected from so many of these experiences that were actually quite painful and hurtful for me that I hadn't looked at and I would never process. And as I started to process the deeper emotional pain and trauma and do this like inner work and move energy and, and really work on the subconscious and use breath to connect to the energy stored in my body. And like, oh my gosh, like in a matter of months, my urges started to disappear. My way of being with food started to shift radically. And it was really like surreal because I, I had a few moments of like being out to dinner and, you know, they put down the chips and salsa and guac and I'm like, yeah, I'm like just having a few chips and I don't even have a desire. I don't even have a desire to go run to the bathroom, to throw these up. Like, I feel good. Whoa. You know, it's like uh, this, like pinch me. Is this really happening? Because I thought I'd always be fighting off the urges. I thought I'd always have to be use, use willpower to resist the urge to engage in the pattern. And I'm not even experiencing the desire. Like, whoa. And so that is when I realized, man, there's something here. Like that felt to me like the missing link was the energy, the alternative approaches. And that's not to say that traditional approaches and what I learned in grad school wasn't valuable. It's so valuable to understand your brain, to understand CBT and how your mind is working, to influence your thoughts, to understand DBT and coping skills and mindfulness and interpersonal skills. Like all of that is valuable and has a place and is needed and, and the deeper work and the emotional processing and the trauma healing and the somatic work. Like all of it, I realized was like so important. And so I began to get trained. I'm now a Reiki master. I'm trained in emotional freedom technique and emotion code among other sort of energy healing modalities that I've learned over the course of my profession and training. Um, you know, I've taken trauma-informed courses. I've taken meditation courses, all of that to say that when I then reemerged armed with these tools and these skills, I was super gung ho and I was like hopeful, but I wanted to see okay, if I introduce these to people now, fused with like the traditional therapeutic techniques I learned, like what's gonna happen? And so when I came back from Europe, by a stroke of, I would say, divine, probably divine orchestration, I was recruited by a company called premier fitness camp premier fitness camp is a health and wellness camp in carlsbad california right and they take a very holistic approach to educating people and providing them a space where they can work on changing habits where they can learn about nutrition where they can um learn how to exercise their body in a way where they're not going to get injured. And I was brought in to become the head of their think department, the inner world, the mindset. I was the director of behavioral health and it was so perfect because they basically gave me an office and were like, here, we want you to basically open a private practice within our our entity and support our guests in being able to receive some psychological support because a lot of them are struggling with their eating habits or with disordered eating tendencies or with some emotional pieces because they're emotional eating and they haven't been able to process the emotions or with their mindset and what they're thinking or with their habits. And so I got to support these beings and I got to finally, it was like this perfect, I don't want to say playground because I wasn't playing necessarily, but like I got to use the new techniques. They were totally open to me know teaching them tapping and supporting them with emotional processing and it was amazing to see the way that benefited people and it was invigorating for me and inspiring and it further ignited my passion of really like honing and refining my understanding of the psychology of eating and continuing to build my skill set in these alternative modalities so that I can continue to bring to the people I work with and to you like the most up to date information like we do in the health and wellness field, especially in mental health. Like we need to continue to challenge ourselves to expand our knowledge and consciousness and understanding of, of healing, especially when it comes to our relationship with food and eating, because a lot of the the older approaches, like they they just need to be updated. And so that is my heart's passion. That is what I bring forward is this like beautiful sort of, uh, meeting of my personal experience. I say like, I'm like, I came up with a slogan. I was like, I'm going to teach you. It's like based in evidence, evidence evidence-based practices refined by my experience. Yeah. And so that is what I want to bring forth for you in this podcast. And on this journey is all the information I've experienced and learned and realized on my journey that is informed by like my very real struggle. Okay. So I really commit to be real with you, to be honest with you and to remind you that like what I share was, is coming from my, my experience coming from my mind. So there's always human bias when we're talking because it's like, we all have our, our own experiences that shape what we think or feel and believe. And so that's why I just always want to say like, Hey, you're the ultimate authority on your journey. And so, receive what I share with you as information or inspiration. And then you get to decide what is going to be like what you're going to do with that according to what feels right and true for you. Thanks for tuning in to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to follow the show so you don't miss future ones. And if you loved it, then please leave a five-star review so that we can share the love with others who may benefit from listening too.